Hello, everyone. Welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and I'll be your host as we travel down the sometimes winding and treacherous roads that make up the Delmarva Peninsula. Delmarva is an area in the Mid-Atlantic region of the United States that encompasses all of Delaware, Maryland to the east of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and Virginia to the north of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Now, just to let you know, I am working on an upcoming episode about the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel because it is so unique, so look for that in the near future. Also, I do have multiple stories that I'm looking at at any given time. Um, I'm looking at whether or not there's enough information to really put together an episode. I'm looking at the timeliness or pertinence of an event and seeing how if there is a time um, when it should be released, should I release it then at that better time. Memorial Day weekend is really the weekend that starts off the summer um, for the Eastern Shore or for Delmarva. And while some or most beaches can still be accessible all year round, this is really the kickoff. And this story will remind us of one of those things that a lot of people like to do on the beach, but they don't really think of the consequences or even realize that there are consequences. And I think that's the most important factor to get across in this story. It's the horrendous, and I'm just telling you, it it really made me so upset to think about what Ashley O'Connor was going through in her last moments of life. It while watching the news and the events as they unfolded, it just really tore at me because I couldn't help but feel, did she feel like she was alone? Even with other things that were going on around her, that desperate attempt to save her own life, did she feel alone? And I don't know, to me, that is one of... The hardest things to think about someone being alone in their final moments, you know, not having someone there to tell you one last time that they love you. So, you know, I do want to give my normal disclaimers here that, you know, this can be unsettling. And, you know, previously I have done episodes about the beach or sailing or, you know, things like that. Um, and even an episode where everything really turned out well, where everybody was rescued in that particular episode um, as a compilation of, you know, shorter stories. But things can happen on the beach where it's not always, you know, the, the best outcome that you would hope to have. So, you know, this episode will contain a description of an event that many may find to be very harrowing um, and traumatic. If you are claustrophobic, this is probably not an episode that you may want to listen to, but kind of as a more general warning, many of the episodes, if not all, will include descriptions of some type of 
event or potential tragedy um, that may mention death. So we do need to realize um, whenever we look at these stories that we want to try to learn about what happened, learn from the mistakes that have happened in the past, and try not to make those mistakes anymore. Now, in this particular case, all of the answers have never been you know, actually found. Um, there were events that happened after the investigation that still leave things kind of up in the air as to what exactly happened um, on this particular day in July um, to Ashley O'Connor. So that is one thing that I do want to say up front is there's still speculation because even though the investigation is over, there are still questions left that have not been answered. And most likely they will never be known now. Um, also, there were things mentioned in articles throughout the reporting of this event. And I will be reporting on what those articles said even though I have chosen not to go over one article because it, it was, to me, very accusatory towards the victim. So I do not mean any disrespect to Ashley O'Connor or her family. There will be things that are mentioned within the articles which I actually take you know, umbrage with and wonder why it was just repeatedly mentioned when it may not have played a factor, but you will see more of what I mean when we get into the episode a little bit further. So going to the beach can be one of the most treasured memories that you make with your family. Having lived around water my whole life, I have to admit that I take the beaches, you know, accessibility to, you know, really a number of different beaches in the area for granted. And as a resident, or at least a close-by resident, to the number of beaches, for me, it doesn't take a lot of planning to get ready for a day out at the beach. You know, we could wake up one day and decide we want to take the kids down to one of the beaches, and it's not that much um, effort, really, because we're right there. When I was younger, there were times that I do remember waking up and looking at the options for my day off from work, I decide to go to the beach. There wasn't a lot of prep needed. And I knew to attempt this only when I had a weekday off. And, you know, especially between Memorial Day and Labor Day, it's really, really busy. In the summer, the beaches, the bar parking spaces, everything is packed. So especially if you're going for the weekend or for a number of different days, you definitely have to make those plans. Now, as I've mentioned, what Delmarva really encompasses, the beaches themselves really extend through the coasts of all three states, Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware. I've mentioned before the beautiful Chincoteague ponies that roam the beaches of Assateague, Virginia, and Assateague, Maryland. Um, I've mentioned Ocean City, and then the beaches into Delaware, um, Fenwick, Dewey, Bethany, Rehoboth, you know, those have tax-free shopping, so those do tend to be rather popular. Um, so if you can just close your eyes and picture yourself on a beach, standing at just where the water covers your feet, 
And when the waves go back into the ocean, you have that almost indescribable feeling of movement under your feet, even though you haven't taken a step. If you're lucky, you may see a dolphin or two leaping in the distance, or even take one of the ferries or tours that can get you a little bit closer. Dozens of people do this every day during the summer, and actually dozens is really an understatement. Probably thousands of people. These beach towns rely on tourism, and summer is their time to shine. But the sun doesn't always shine. And one day in late July in 2017, one family went through a tragic and unbelievably heartbreaking loss on a family vacation. Now, just to go back a little bit, have you ever started a project, but once you started the research, you found out that things were completely different than what you thought they were? I may have said something similar in you know, this podcast previously, but I really started this to be a mini-sode. Um, I was looking at it as the little-known dangers of the beach, but then actually found out that there were other events that happened afterwards that I did not see reported on as vigorously as when this event first happened. And, you know, I will admit Based on my knowledge from the case and what I saw in 2017, um, which again is when this event occurred, I had to take a look at what then was actually released to the media. Is there was more that was known? And eventually, was there anything that courts or attorneys had information to that we didn't? So again, the original thought process on this particular episode was beach safety. And many people know of the normal, what we would say normal hazards that come with going to the beach. And probably the first thing is drowning, um, being pulled under, you know, by a large wave and not being able to get back. Shark attacks really don't happen around here. I'm not going to say they never happen because... I think I've heard one or two cases of sharks being seen, but, you know, around here, really, it's the possibility of drowning. And if you're out on a boat, you know, the same situation if someone falls overboard or, you know, there's a storm that takes place. But we're going back to Ashley O'Connor and She had just come to Maryland to go to a friend's wedding and was finishing up her time in Maryland by staying in Ocean City with her family. And one night, Ashley went walking and didn't come home. Her worried family did report her missing early in the morning, and little did they know that the search would unfortunately be a rather short one, and the outcome was not what anybody really would have expected. Beach ga- beachgoers were just walking the shore in the morning and they came across a horrific sight. Or at least some of the reports say it was people walking on the beach, but more about this detail later. They did see a human hand and part of an arm sticking out from under the sand. What's not really clear here is whether or not those that found her 
did anything to try to rescue the person um, or since her hand and part of her arm was above the sand, I have to wonder that they try to check for a pulse and understand at the time that it may have been too late. So to say that the investigation was starting out in a very strange way would probably be an understatement. One would not expect to see a person almost completely covered in sand with just a very small portion of their body exposed. Now, looking at what we see in TV, in the movies, and even a commercial or two that I've seen, we will sometimes witness someone on a beach with just their head sticking out where they've let their little siblings or their nephews and nieces bury a hole and bury them up to their neck. And we almost see this as funny in a lot of ways. Now, given this particular case, it was quickly suspected that Ashley either fell into or sat down into a hole that was already there on the beach. But whichever case, somehow the sand around her collapsed. And in the words of some journalists, she drowned in sand. Do you know the description that I gave just a moment ago about how your feet may feel like they're moving or that you're moving when water laps up over them and pulls back into the ocean? That feeling can be comforting in some ways. Um, it can also seem a little scary depending on how used to being on the beach you are um, and how comfortable you are with swimming in the ocean. I haven't been to the ocean in a little while, I hate to say, but that is always one of the things I loved feeling when I was out near the water. Um, you can actually be moved by that sand, though, and water laps up onto the beach and can even start to pull you out. And what a lot of people don't realize, I think, is just how heavy sand is. And it's not necessarily just the sand itself. It's that sand can trap water with, between the millions and millions of grains of sand that may be in a bucket. There's sand tr or water trapped between those grains of sand. I did see where it was estimated that one five-gallon bucket of beach sand can weigh 62 pounds. So even when you're not at the sand that's right up to the water, the rest of the sand can still feel very heavy. It's very humid around the beach and they can still absorb some of the sand or some of the water and moisture that is in the air. Also, sand with that much moisture in between each of the grains, it's not going to allow you to breathe. Even if there was not water in between all those grains of sand, if it was just sand itself, it's still very heavy and would, of course, inhibit breathing. When someone is buried, then what happens is with every breath that they take, when their chest expands and then it comes back in, sand will fill in that gap where their lungs, their chest was, which means more sand comes in compressing the chest and airway till it gets to a point that no matter how hard someone tries to breathe, they do not have the strength, 
their chest does not have the ability to expand anymore. Their lungs are being starved of oxygen. So yes, I'm starting out with a very, very dark and morbid description of what can happen at the beach. I'm very sorry, but this is something that happened and something we need to be aware of for safety reasons as we start our summer. Going back to that quintessential scene that we all have in our minds of the children happily burying their silly uncle or grandpa in the sand can take an entirely different meaning when we think about these factors. Many beaches do have ordinances that they post saying that a hole may not be more than two feet, or in other cases, it may not be any higher than the knees of the shortest person in a group. Um, in Ocean City, it's been adopted that it's a one to two foot deep wide is the maximum that you can go for a hole. Um, it comes with fines if you do not comply with that ordinance. And it's something that I believe most people, including most adults, would not really think of as being dangerous, especially since we do see it portrayed on the screen many times. Looking through information on this case, I did come across some events that happened in 2018. And though this was from the Mercury News in California, it still goes to actually emphasize the importance of knowing the safety about you know, digging holes or being trapped in the sand. Um, in 2018, there was a day where a lifeguard supervisor had seen this hole being dug, and he asked the, the people on the beach to go ahead and fill it in. But at the same time, approximately while he was doing this, there was a call about a young boy who most people looked and thought to be around six or, six or seven years old was trapped in the hole or a hole. Um, it doesn't give many more descriptives as to how he got in the hole or, you know, how deep the hole was specifically. But fortunately, he was tall enough where his nose was sticking out from the sand. So even though he still had potential danger of the pressure that the sand was putting on his chest, he was still able to breathe. People could see him and the rescue was started right away where they could pull him out. In that previous year, though, in 2017, a mother was looking for her son who was about three years old. Um, about the same time, someone else at the beach heard her yelling and remembered that they had just seen a young child digging a hole. And the, the beachgoer looked around, did not see the little boy anymore, and went to approximately where he was um, when he had last seen him digging the hole. It was estimated that he had been buried for around three to four minutes. When the little boy was rescued, he was not breathing and was described as being blue. People did do CPR and fortunately, he did survive. What they determined happened here is that he had actually tried 
to dig a hole or tunnel between two other holes. So that really decreases the amount of, um, I guess you would say, the support that the sand would have, and it's collapsed in on the little boy. And going to adults, as you know, I've mentioned time and time again, sometimes an adult will volunteer for that, that even at 17, so not exactly an adult, but a bigger person than any of the previous ones I mentioned, a young man named Matt Mina um, had dug actually a very large hole in a beach in California. Um, it was around six foot and he got buried. And that was, you know, up to 30 minutes that he was buried. Um, when he actually came out of the hole, so yes, he did survive. He says he remembers going in and out of consciousness and did remember hearing people digging around his body. So he actually, you know, especially being a little bit older, probably realized what the potential danger was as he said he remembered the feeling of how the hole and the sand started to fall apart that at the time he was laying actually on his stomach trying to dig deeper but then the sand caved in on him and thankfully his cousin who was nearby heard him start to yell um, and he was actually able to to kind of make an air pocket around his head which did help save him even though he did go back and forth into consciousness because there's only so much air that can be there, he was able to survive. The way that lifeguards were able to find him was that there was an area of the sand that looked, you know, different than the rest of the sand. And what makes this even, what makes this sad though, is in this spot that Matt Mina um, was able to be pulled from and did survive that about a quarter of, of a century earlier, a seven-year-old did die for the same reason. So sand and knowing the dangers of it is very important, um, even though it's probably not the first thing you think of when you go to the beach and, you know, think about um, what dangers you may have there. Going to the story that we will be covering today I did reach out to the Ocean City, um, just their general email to ask for someone who you know, worked with media relations to reach out to me, but unfortunately I had not heard a response, so I am deciding to go ahead with this episode with the information that I do have. Ashley O'Connor wanted to have a nice, relaxing, and fun time in Ocean City. Ocean City's draw may be the beach for family, and she was visiting with hers. She was newly married and had just recently started a business with her wife. She had also published a book on Amazon and was excited about that. Neither she nor her family could have ever imagined that Ashley would not be with them when they left the resort town. At around 2 a.m., 
on July 31, 2017, Ashley separated from her family so that she could take a walk along the beach. Then, at 6.30 a.m., beachgoers came upon a site that I'm sure will stay with them forever. They saw a hand and arm reaching out above the sand. They immediately alerted authorities and efforts began quickly to rescue the victim, though they were doing so without knowing exactly how long she had been under the sand. To at least myself, this would make the effort somewhat surreal. Um, They were trying to save someone and holding out hope that they could rescue them, but in the back of their minds, they had to realize that this could very well be a recovery, not a rescue mission. And I also have to wonder then if they were using the fact that her arm and hand were above the water, or I'm sorry, above the sand, to determine whether or not she actually had a pulse, um, the temperature of the skin to determine if she was still alive. Earlier that same morning, Ashley's family had filed a missing persons report since she hadn't come back to the hotel. And I would have to believe that the minds of law enforcement were working it out that possibly the two cases were connected and, you know, that possibly this was Ashley that was buried in the sand. But on any given busy night, you don't know how many people may go missing temporarily if they decide to go with a friend somewhere else or you know, just end up being somewhere other than the hotel because it is a resort town. Things can get pretty, pretty exciting, I'll just say. Now, the police department did treat this as a crime scene, as they should. They closed down part of the beach for both the rescue or recovery, as well as for trying to gather evidence. Until a reason for an injury or death is determined, evidence must be gathered and safeguarded. Even if the evidence doesn't necessarily look like evidence at the time, it's important to keep everyone else off the beach and away from the site. It took around took until around 4.15 to complete the recovery of Ashley's remains. I remember watching the news that day and seeing updates, and I was just feeling sick to think about what she must have been going through in her last moments. Her pictures reminded me so much of a friend that I had in college. And, you know, I I just thought about how many people would miss out on knowing Ashley or getting to know her works, her artwork, um, you know, reading more things that she might have written, all because of this accident. The juxtaposition of Cruz working to recover a person who, by this point, even if they were holding out any hope, I would believe very early on that they would understand that Ashley was deceased. But this scene was set against a backdrop of sunbathers, children playing, and laughter filling the air. So that that difference or dichotomy had to be very stark. While the part of the beach had been shut down, there were still hundreds or thousands of other people on vacation and in tro- trying to enjoy the parts of the beach that they could get to. So after the recovery, it was time to determine what happened. 
And this is where there's actually no clear definitive answers about almost anything. The first being, how did a hole get into the sand? Then, why was Ashley in the hole? How did the hole get covered? And what would have happened if she had been 100% covered? Would she have ever been located or how long would that take? Um, Knowing the winds around here, eventually I do believe she would have been recovered, but I don't know how long that would take. According to police spokeswoman Lindsay Richard, she said, quote, investigators are still trying to determine what caused the hole to fall in, which is something we may never know, but we're still investigating it. Um, she also added after this that they were waiting the results of a toxicology report. Early on, people did begin to speculate exactly about the, how the hole was filled in. Many were thinking about the tractors that go over the beach at night that help rake the sand and basically keep the beach maintained. So this is something that was being thought about very early on. And while initially it was unclear exactly how deep the hole was, it was determined to be about three to four feet. Earlier on in the recovery, some investigators and workers were seen standing in the hole to about their waist. So even at that point before it sounds like they were able to get directly to Ashley, it was still at least waist deep. Now, who was Ashley O'Connor herself? Like I mentioned before, she was newly married and vacationing with her family. She had started her own painting business with her best friend and life partner, Janet. And she was from Plano, Texas, and would sometimes sell her artwork on Facebook. One of the articles mentioned, um, you know, reported some of her recent successes Um, In November, she had discussed on Facebook about writing a book. It was titled Definite Purpose and was available on Amazon. She also did have upcoming art shows in December. So all of these things, just from a few moments on the beach, were taken away from Ashley, her loved ones, and anyone else who may have, you know, enjoyed or appreciated her art. Now, quickly, it was determined that she had not drowned. Um, The actual water itself at high tide was still about 30 yards away from where Ashley was found. Now, there was a phrase used during one of the interviews about how Ashley may or may not have died. And this phrase leads me to think that investigators were really looking at this incident in one particular direction. They said that she had not vomited. So, okay, we know that she had not drowned, that high tide didn't come in, but they were talking about her vomiting, which means to me very early on, they were probably thinking about alcohol being a factor and possibly did she vomit and, you know, possibly choke on it. I I hate to say that, but that does occur. And that was put in the same sentence 
end quote, as saying that she did not drown. So you might call me cynical, but I think that having a ton of sand on top of you is about as detrimental as you can get. So I will explore my thoughts a little bit more on the aspects of whether or not it looked like, you know, those investigating it were looking at it more as a accident because she may have been intoxicated. So next to another question was, how was the hole dug in the sand? That's probably something we'll never know either, but it's a beach. People dig holes. They move sand around to build sand castles, or like I mentioned before, burying a willing family member in the sand. But now knowing that a five-gallon bucket of sand weighs 62 pounds, I don't think I'll ever look at that the same way again. Um, so think about that. The five-gallon bucket weighs 62 pounds, and how much sand would have been on Ashley or anybody who's ever been in that position on the beach. Rumors began and were still going about those beachcombers, those tractors that come along the beach and try to straighten it up and maintain um, the beach itself. The police did recognize this as a possibility, even though they, at least in my opinion, weren't really putting it forward as a strong possibility. Looking at the way that these tractors and any maintenance that's done to the town of Ocean City, it usually starts around 7 p.m. and ends around 3.30 a.m. However, sometimes that can be different if there's more that needs to be done. Um, so those are about the average times, which does actually put Ashley within that time frame of being on the beach. She was last seen at around 2 a.m. Um, now, there was a quote in one of the um, articles that I read that mentioned what the website said at that time. It said during mentioning, you know, between the 7 and 3.30 a.m., during that time, the website states that five employees on tractors sift the sand, ensuring the beach is clean and leveled for the next day. Maintenance picks up again at 5 a.m. as trash cans are emptied, and at 6 a.m., two employees on 4x4s ride the beach to pick up debris. So again, this was from one of the articles that I've sourced, um, and all the sources are linked in the description. So a couple things on this is, you know, first... It does put Ashley on the beach within that time frame. But even once the, I guess you would say the larger scale um, maintenance is done, there's still other people who are walking around the beach who are city employees, um, especially the employees on four by fours. I have to wonder, did they not see what later on, um, you know, about a half an hour later on, that someone else did see. Now, something that I have started to mention too was a repeated theme in some of the interviews was about alcohol. So until toxicology reports came back, the officials really could not rule that in or out as a factor. Um, Lindsay Richard did continue um, to say that alcohol may have played a role um, and that at that point it was undetermined. 
As more and more information came out and was released, it was learned that Ashley was actually sitting up in the hole when she was found. So based on this, the investigation concluded that she most likely got into the hole willingly and sat down. So the ultimate cause of death um, and the manner were asphyxiation caused by suffocation and that it was accidental. Um, the official reports basically said that the detectives were not able to conclusively find out why the hole did collapse, but they were sure that there was no evidence of foul play. Now, what really kind of took me over the edge about, you know, alcohol repeatedly being um, mentioned in some of the, the interviews. After, you know, going through the investigation, the, the authorities actually said they thought alcohol was a factor, but since this was an accident, they did not run a complete toxicology report. So that just sends up red flags to me right now because if it was an accident, wouldn't you want to get all the information that you can to try to make sure this doesn't happen again or to get a better understanding of exactly what occurred? But again, it was also mentioned by the police chief, Ross Bazzoro, that it was a possibility that tractors could have pushed sand into the hole. What the chief said is, quote, we'll, we'll truly never have answered the question of how Ashley died and what we believe occurred is that there was a collapse to the hole that she was in, how the hole collapsed. She unfortunately is the only person that will know, end quote. He continued is one is she could have upon entering the hole could have collapsed while in the hole there could have been a collapse as well as for us, we had tractors in the area that could have contributed to the hole in its collapse, end quote. Okay, I know with both of these quotes, they were probably a little confusing, but these were taken directly from one of the articles from an interview that he gave or a press conference. So these are his words. Um, they did say that Ashley's blood alcohol level was higher than the legal limit. I do just want to mention that in some cases, or many cases actually, the body does produce at least a little bit of alcohol in the decomposition process. So without having the exact number, without it saying what her blood alcohol level was, was it just mildly above the legal limit? And could the rest have been part of the decomposition process? Or was that limit, um, by just saying it was above the legal limit, doesn't mean it was much higher. That's something we don't know. So you've probably um, concluded that I was not really, really pleased with some of the wording that was used and how, unfortunately, um, I guess you would say the respect that Ashley was given I understand that in any resort town or city, there is alcohol. Let's face it, people come to party. There's bars up and down. Um, Ocean City has actually two sides of the beach. One is on a bay, one is um, on the ocean. So you really have this strip of land 
that is surrounded by water. Um, so there are bars that dot both sides of the main road or thoroughfare that goes through Ocean City. So that is a very, very common thing to have people who drink a lot in town. But then you have to look at the situation and determine, really, would alcohol have played that much of a factor in Ashley's death? Okay, right here, I'm going to read a excerpt from an article. Now, within the article, it does actually quote the report. So, you know, listen for when I say the quotes um, and things like that. But the opinion of the author of the article is given before she actually, you know, gives the quote from the report. So here's the excerpt. Interestingly, the complaint suggests no culpability for the decedent at all, despite the fact that she was lying on a hole on the beach at 2 a.m. in the morning, stating, and now is the quote from the report, the aforesaid conduct was the proximate cause of the decedent Ashley O'Connor's horrific and painful death without any negligence or fault on the part of the decedent contributing hereto, end quote. So that was the excerpt from the article. And just for the reporter to say, you know, interestingly, the complaint suggests no culpability for the decedent at all despite the fact that she was lying on a hole on the beach at 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, I admit, reading that, I actually wanted to be a little petty and say, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning is kind of, you know, repetitive because a.m. means the morning, but wasn't going to make a comment to that on the actual report, you know, how they have comment sections. So I was good. But at the same time, this is a hole that's in a beach, on a beach, whether she was drunk or not, in you know, walking the beach at 2 a.m. Yes, it was late, but again, she's on vacation. Would you expect to see a four-foot deep hole that you may have fallen into? Could you have just wanted to sit back, enjoy the sunrise, maybe, you know, get in there and wait for a little while for the sun to come up or look at the stars in the sky? to watch the birds flying around, just anything, maybe some privacy. You know, so whether she got in there on her own, whether she fell in there, it doesn't matter that she was drunk, at least in my opinion. You know, because that could have happened to anybody. And, you know, again, a lot of the articles seem to place blame on her. And it's phrases like this that make it seem like she was 100% at fault. And I I don't feel that way. You know, when you go to a resort town, you expect things to be safeguarded. Now, could everybody on the beach stop any hole from being, you know, dug? No, people cannot be everywhere 100% of the time to help safeguard that. I mean, I guess they could, but then you would be paying lifeguards in the middle of the night to not even really rescue people, but to just kind of monitor it. So, you know, there's there's really no definitive answers as to when this hole was dug, but the fact is it was. Now the town does take steps every night to try to make sure that those holes 
are filled in, leveled out, and that the rest of the beach also receives the same treatment to help maintain the beach. Now, this is where things start to get, um, I guess you would say interesting, because Ashley's mother did file a lawsuit against Ocean City by stating that it was those beachcombers, those traffic, um, sorry, those tractors that did actually plow the sand in over the hole where Ashley was at. Um, so the lawsuit was filed, but not much is known about that afterwards. Um, the charges were actually dismissed by a federal court, um, and it was dismissed with prejudice, which means that it cannot be refiled. There was no actual mention of a settlement, but some of the other documents had stated, quote, substantial progress toward resolution. So it sounds like at least there was some type of compromise between the city and Ashley's mother, but we'll never really know because none of that information was released. And um, the mother's attorney didn't discuss the case when reporters did reach out for information. The reason for the lawsuit was that the workers who did drive the tractors failed to, quote, exercise due diligence and drove over and or drove the drag over Ashley Connor, not once, but multiple times in trapping her, end quote. The lawsuit was $4 million in damages, um, but again, we do not know the actual outcome of that. So what do I think of this case overall? I think it emphasizes the need of education in regards to what we take for granted. When we go to the beach, we don't expect for sand to cave in on us. This is something that most people probably would not think about. And unless you or other family members have an interest in, you know, different types of, I would say probably physics, geology, anything that may, that might focus on this type of thing, then you probably wouldn't even think of the dangers. We see it even with snow forts, where I did mention the little boy building the tunnel. That has happened before in snow. So what we may sometimes see as innocuous and, you know, it's not going to harm anybody could actually do so. So one of the most important things to take away from this is the danger of sand on the beach. But also, do I believe that a tractor did run over and fill in the hole? The answer is mostly I think it did there will probably never be a 100% sure conclusion to this case unless one of the tractor drivers admits to not checking a hole or not seeing a hole. You know, I'm sure they have records as to who was in that area working the tractor or beachcomber that night. But, you know, that information was never released. So unless either that person remembers something happening or even has admitted it happening, but we just can't see the reports. So again, you know, we don't have the reports. So some of this is speculation because we don't have those reports or the settlement. 
you know, did did one of the tractor workers know afterwards that they had actually dragged the tractor over the hole? If they did, I do feel for that person since they will actually live with this for the rest of their life. But as with so many things that happen in this world that are labeled accidents, I think a lot of it comes down to complacency. If it was you know, just that hole being there itself, why didn't some worker see that earlier? Or was it dug after all lifeguards and beach personnel were off the beach and you know, people didn't realize how dangerous it could be? So was there complacency there or not by city employees? And, you know, even if it did cave in naturally, but someone had dug that hole, is there a way to have a patrol every at least couple of hours at a minimum to make sure there's no large holes that are being dug on the beach? In terms of could it possibly have been that tractor that filled in the hole? Well, yes, possibly it could be. So in that case, was the tractor driver just too complacent, not thinking that anything could have been in that hole? Did he see the hole? You know, there are so many questions left unanswered, but what we do know is that a young woman's life was taken long before it should have been. There should have been years and years left that she could have spent with her family, that she would have enjoyed with her new wife and seen the success of a business that she started and, you know, revel in the successes of an art show being put on that featured her work. But these are things that she'll never know and that those around her will miss out on. So complacency, I say that a lot, but it is something that I greatly feel impacts a lot of these accidents. Going back to, again, the alcohol that kept being mentioned, while you know we can't say that there was no alcohol in her system or it may not have impaired some of her judgment or her coordination abilities, for one thing, we don't know exactly how high it was, does that change the fact that she could have still been killed in this way? And the answer is yes, she could have still been killed in the hole, whether or not she was intoxicated or not. So to me, the alcohol is really a non-factor because that could have been anything. It could have been, you know, a you know, just anybody who was walking around. I personally wouldn't get into a hole because I, I'm not very athletic. I probably wouldn't be able to get out. But she may have been. She may have looked at it as kind of a place of solace to sit down and relax and reflect on life, or she may have just wanted to sit down and relax at all and not really think about anything. Again, we'll never know, but I, it really, it really just struck me that it seemed in some of the phrases used in the article that it was putting a lot of the blame on her when this really could have happened to anybody. And as seen in the instances that I started to mention earlier on, you know, it it's a dangerous thing. Sand is a dangerous thing. And it happened to people with, you know, hundreds of beach coat goers around them where they got um, buried in sand. 
So to focus on alcohol in some ways as a factor when, you know, again, admittedly, yes, it may have impacted some things in relation to how she acted afterwards or why she even got into the hole. But the fact is that the hole was covered over. Again, I, I am kind of leaning towards where I think that it probably was a tractor or beachcomber that came over. I don't have, you know, of course, proof of that. We don't have information from a settlement if there was a settlement. But I feel like that's more likely. And that's just because of the time frame. And that's when they would have been on the beach. So, again, that's opinion. But, you know, it's something we'll probably never know unless someone comes forward. So... This is Memorial Day weekend. Beach season is kicking off. Sorry to start it off on a little bit of a morbid note, but it is a reminder of how important it is to be aware of your surroundings, to make sure that you proper or that you practice proper beach safety and remember things, especially cases like this where something that seems so mundane and that you think is safe may not be. Pay attention to signs around the beach whether or not it is about sand um, or not, look for flags or warnings that may be given along particular areas of beach as those signs you know, are designated for that area. Um, they make those signs up because they know what the danger is in that particular part of the beach. So please take care um, while going to the beach. Have fun because that's what the beach is there for. It can create so many good memories, but just make sure you're taking all the precautions that you can to keep those memories good and cherished and not end in any tragic way. So I appreciate everybody listening today. Um, something exciting though is I've had now over 2000 downloads, which I know compared to a lot of podcasts is not a big number by any means, but I'm very appreciative of that. You know, I started this um, as a way to explore things that I was interested in, to learn more myself, because I think life is an exploration and journey of learning. And, you know, in the process, I was looking at events that hopefully we could take information from and learn from. And some of this is based on experiences in my life that, you know, have been tragic and left an indelible mark. And I want to learn more. I want to, you know, try to find out why things happen and hopefully we can stop them from happening again, that we won't fall into a sense of complacency where things are overlooked because, you know, well, that hasn't been an issue 500 times before, but on 501, it may be. So this is, you know, something that kind of, propels me, you know, the thought process of, you know, this is why a lot of people do podcasts, whether it be about true, true crime, tragedies, natural disasters, whatever the case may be, is we're looking at the situations around that, what caused it, and what can we do better. So I, I have decided, even though it's still going to take a little bit of time, for me to cover one of the cases that I knew a person involved, 
those have been very difficult for me to think about, even though I think about each and every single one of those people a couple of times a day, if not more. So, you know, I want to get their stories out, even though it's rather painful to think about, very painful to think about in a lot of cases, to the point that I do still sometimes have dreams about them. You know, 25 years later, 27 years later, I still think about them multiple times a day, what they could have been like, what they could have grown to be. And, you know, I think it's time to finally start discussing those. So I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share these stories, to not forget those who have been impacted by tragedies and you know, just as a warning, when I do finally get to one of those episodes and to do start to discuss them, I, I have a feeling there will be a lot of stops and starts as even with just working on introductions to the one, um, it, or an introduction to the one that I'm going to start with. I found myself very emotional. So I will be working on those upcoming. And once I feel a little bit more secure in being able to get through the episode emotionally, I will go ahead and post that. So, you know, share the podcast if you find it interesting. I hope you do. And I will talk to everybody soon. Bye.